if Jesus is who we know him to be, if, if he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, if he's the creator and sustainer of everything that exists, then why would he wash his disciples' dirty feet? If, if he is the most important man on the planet, why? Why, why would he wash their feet? Um, it would seem wildly inappropriate at best and maybe downright silly at, at worst. Um, but that is exactly what he did. In John 13, we read that he rose from the supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When Jesus removes his clothes and wraps that towel around him and he takes up that basin and pitcher, um, this disrobing in, in a culture as modest as first century Judaism had to be disconcerting. You, you caught it on the disciples' face in the video. This was not, this was awkward, okay. But, but it was more than what he took off that was troubling to them. It was what he put on. See, when he took that outer garment off and he put that towel around him, he was taking the, on the, the attire of a slave. And then, and then he was doing for them what only slaves would be expected to do, really, only the lower caste of slaves. Certain servants were excused from foot washing. It was too demeaning. Foot washing was for servants, the lowest of servants. And it's really hard for us these days because we don't do this ritual to get our, our, our head around what, just how awkward it was that Jesus would do this for them. So maybe this will help just in a tiny bit. Um, imagine that you have invited me, your pastor, to dinner at your house. A good thing, by the way, to invite <laughs> a pastor for dinner. And so I come to your house, and you see my car pull in the driveway, and you walk around, and you get out, and you notice I'm carrying something as I come to the house, and I come to the door. You open the door, you let me in, and I'm staying there, and I've got a cleaning bucket full of cleaning supplies, and I greet you, and I walk past you. I go directly into your bathroom, and I begin to clean your commode. Now, some of you are thinking, when can we have him over? Okay? That's not the point. Okay? Um. Others of you are thinking, that'd be awkward. That is the point. It, it'd be awkward. If you came to my house, I would be expected to clean my commode for you. But if I come to your house and I'm, I'm your guest of honor, this is all upside down. You know, it's interesting. There is, historians tell us, there is no historical record, not one, from Jesus' day of a superior washing the feet of a subordinate. Not one incident, except this one. Why? Why would Jesus wash their feet? Some have suggested that it was a symbol of something greater, and it was. 
And others have suggested that it was in order to set an example. And he did. But there's another example that's right at the heart, I think, another motive that's right at the heart of what Jesus was doing and why he did it. And it's in the verses prior to these. Very first verse in John 13, if you want to look there, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Just before the feast of the Passover. This is not some random time marker. It connects our story to hundreds of years of celebration of the Passover, where they looked back to when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt by the, by the blood of a lamb on a doorpost. And it didn't just look back all those hundreds of years of celebrations. It also looked forward and anticipated when the Messiah would finally come and he would set them free from their sins. He would be their Passover. And this Passover, this, this was the Passover that they had all been waiting and looking for. At this Passover, Jesus would become our Passover lamb. By his blood, our deliverance from our sins would come. It also marks the time of Jesus' death for us. This event that we're talking about, it happened on Thursday night, Maundy Thursday, the, the night before Jesus was crucified. He's hours away from the agony of the cross. And it says, having loved his own who are in the world, he, he loved them to the end. There's another way to render that expression. Um, the old, older version of the New International Version expressed it this way. It says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Either way, Jesus, what's about to happen, they're telling us, is a demonstration of the fullness of Jesus' love for them. Plain and simple, Jesus washed his disciples' feet because he loved them. That's why. Because he loved them. And of course, his, his love is most fully displayed for them at the cross. But first, as a kind of a preview to the cross, also like a trailer for the movie, Jesus displays his love by washing their feet. It's rooted in Jesus' absolute confidence of the Father's plan. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it round his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around them. Now, as this takes place, just like you would be thrown a little bit out of sorts by your pastor showing up at your house for dinner and him scrubbing your commode, the disciples are a little bit off by what's going on here at this point in time, especially Peter. This, this socially upside-down act really troubles Peter. When Jesus comes to him, Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So Peter, he just can't get his head around this. Um, kings don't wash servants' feet. It's just not right. It's not the way things were supposed to be. And Jesus virtually has to arm wrestle him to get him, to let him wash his feet. And he explains to him that that the foot washing is a symbol of a cleansing that Jesus, only Jesus can do and that he was about to do, we know through the cross. The foot washing is a symbol of a greater act of love and a greater act of cleansing. Uh, John writes about it in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a symbol of a greater act of love and cleansing. It's a symbol of the cross. But in the midst of it, our attention's focused a couple of times that there's one in their midst who lacks this justifying cleansing. Twice Jesus has been, Judas has been brought to our attention. And Jesus has just washed Judas' feet. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, Jesus said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Do you get it? Jesus says. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So even though Jesus is highly exalted, he's Lord in the fullest sense. He's teacher in the greatest sense. He has just become their servant in the lowest sense because of his love for them, because of his trust in the Father's plan. So what we're eavesdropping on is not just some podunk pastor scrubbing your commode. It's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Becoming like a slave and washing your dirty feet. Washing the feet, in this case, of a band of disciples who are about to abandon him within hours. And so now symbol becomes example and Jesus says that we are to follow him. To be like him, to love like him, and to show it in humble service just like him. To follow Christ is to humbly serve. 
Do you understand what he has done? Do you get it? See, if we are to get it and truly follow Christ in this matter of serving one another, there are three things in here that I want to just underscore for us that come out of Jesus' example that must mark us. Each one of these must increasingly mark us if we're really going to follow his example. And the first is this. Christ-like serving flows from love. If you are bad at serving, probably you are bad at loving. And if you are bad at loving, probably you have not drunk deeply enough of what it means that you, you are the beloved of God, that God loves you. I love the description. It's one of my favorite descriptions of Jesus in Revelation that John writes. He says, he's Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. He's the one who loves you and has freed you from your sins by his blood. You know, you should read about and think about and study about and talk about and meditate about and reflect about what it means that you are loved by God because that changes everything. Serving flows from loving and loving flows from being loved. Um, one of my last trips to China, I, I was gifted a scroll. It hangs in my office. It's a, a floor-to-ceiling kind of thing, big scroll. And um, honestly, I was going to bring it in, but now I'm not exactly sure what it means. Matt and Laura, I'm hoping you guys can translate it for me after the service. Because I thought I knew what it said, and I looked on the back, and it said something totally different. So. But this is, what, this is what I think, or at least I thought, what the scroll said. It's 1 John 4.19, and it just says, We love because he first loved us. Um, Draw near to the God who loves you. Marvel, cherish, delight in his first love for you. It changes everything. It's the fuel for love that fuels service in and amongst God's people. Um, Service, then, is not to be a cranky, grumbly, door-slamming, foot-stomping, eye-rolling act of reluctant compliance to the nagging of your pastor. That's not the kind of service that we're talking about. It's not what Jesus is calling us to. It's to be an expression of love, done willingly, not under compulsion. On occasion, some of you think, or inclined to think, you know, I do, I love Jesus. I love him. I love what he's done for me. I love who he is. It's just the church that I'm really not that wild about. Okay? And that's, that's really troublesome thinking. Uh, let, me, let me see if this helps you see where the trouble lies in that. Guys, why don't you try that line of thinking with your wife? Say to her, honey, I love you. But I find your body so disgusting and repulsive that I really don't want to be around you or serve you. Hello, couch, right? The guy, guys? (laughs) Love, Love Jesus, okay? Love Jesus, love his body. They are inseparable. 
I don't think you can love Jesus if you don't love his body. And that's the church. Jesus himself says in, in John 15, he says, this is my commandment, okay? That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Loving one another, that's how we love Jesus back. Okay? It's that important. We must get better at loving one another if we are going to serve in love. Now, it's been my observation that not only does love fuel service, but service really protects love for the church too. I, um, I've, I've watched and um, the people who struggle most with loving the church often have pulled back from serving the church. Okay. Um, they become critics rather than loving servants. And there's plenty to criticize around the church. I've been pastor at North Wake for almost 23 years, and believe me, I think I've seen the lion's share of the warts and blemishes, the dark underbelly of the church. Most of them come wobbling by my office at one point or time <laughs> in another. And... Uh, um, the, you know, the great protection for me has been that every week I'm required to serve. Every week. I don't do study serve. I do serve serve, okay? Every week I serve. And that's my protection. Um, I'm too, honestly, I'm too busy serving the church to be her great critic. Now, the staff, our staff, they, I think they really hate the days that I don't preach, but I'm here. Because you know what I do if I'm not preaching and I'm here? I just walk around finding stuff that's wrong. That's what I do. I'm just a critic. Man, I roll my sleeves up. There's weeds over there, and the paint needs to be done there, and that sign's pointing the wrong way, and this is a disaster, and can't we do any better than that? Really? Who's running this show? This is a train wreck. They hate it. So Monday morning staff meeting, I got my list. If I haven't preached, and they, they hope that when I don't preach, I leave. Why don't you go on a retreat somewhere? Um, if I don't serve, I become a critic. And you know what? So do you. It's not good for the church. It's not good for you. Serving protects your love for Christ and his church. It really does. And they go together. Let me ask you this question. Are you serving more gladly now than you were two or three years ago? Or have you regressed in what Jesus says must mark us as his followers? So, Christ-like serving flows out of love. The other thing I see is, is that it requires great humility. Um, serving the church will be beneath you. It will humble you. It will be inconvenient. Count on it. Okay? It's just how it works. Some of you have PhDs in strange languages, 
and you're going to find yourself sitting cross-legged on a floor with a pop-up book in front of Cheerio-encrusted toddlers, and you're thinking, I had a PhD for this? There's, there's no Hebrew anywhere in this book. And some of you are successful uh, businessmen and women in our community. Uh, you're pretty important. People count on you. you, you families count on you to be successful so that you can provide for them. You're a pretty important guy or a pretty important lady. And you come to church and we slap that silly orange vest with you and we tell you to go stand in the middle of the road where all the crazies are and help people get back and forth from the parking. Right. Um. Serving the church, just count on it. It's going to be beneath you. Um, it will humble you. It will be asked of you when you are most tired and very busy. Plan on it. Okay. God, in his wise and good sovereignty, has decreed that right outside of my office is the office kitchen. Okay. It's right one step out. And in our office, we don't have coffee snobs. Okay? We don't have those kind of people. We have coffee slobs. <laughs> I'm convinced these people can no more pour coffee into a cup without spilling all over the counter. And it's a, it's a disaster. And then they're preoccupied with things, and they just leave it there. Now, I've checked. It's not in my job description to clean up after the coffee slobs. Not in there. I've... I've watched, you know, they can, they're big boys, they can clean up their own cups, you know, they don't, I'm not my thing, I'm not particularly good at that, uh, I've got, honestly, I've got more important things to do. Um, sometimes I just think I'll just let it go and see what grows and see if Josiah can use it for a middle school science project, you know, just watch. Um, I just don't want to mess with it. But God in his wise sovereignty has put the kitchen right outside my office. And Jesus says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So I clean the kitchen. Okay. Not great at it. Don't go look and rape me or anything. But I clean the kitchen. Okay. It's what I do. It's what Jesus would do, I think. Um, when was the last time you saw something that needed to be done around our church? Maybe it's one of those times I was cajoling people, trying to get people to sign up to, to love on and serve and mentor our kids, and you thought, somebody really should do that. Some, I bet somebody else will do that. Um, I have more important things to do. And Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So what does that mean? That means you and me, we should clean the kitchen. Whatever that means. Whatever serving the church means, that's, that's what we should do. Um, even if it's beneath you, even if they don't deserve it. And that's really the third thing that I see. I see love, I see humility, and the third thing I see in Jesus' example is I see grace. Um, Jesus, Jesus is serving the undeserving. 
graces, undeserved favor, right? Have you ever thought about whose feet Jesus washed that night? He washed Peter's. Peter was about to deny Jesus three times. He washed all the other disciples, and they were all about to abandon him in the garden within just an hour or two. And he did wash Judas' feet. Judas is mentioned and singled out with great intent in our passage so that we don't miss him. He is the one who would betray Jesus. And Jesus, it would seem, is even demonstrating his love for for Judas in this foot washing. All of these betrayals and denials and desertions would happen within just a matter of hours of Jesus lovingly, humbly washing their feet. He knew. And still he washed. Still he loved. Dressed like a slave, washing their dirty feet in humble, loving service. You think anybody in that room deserved to be served by Jesus? You think anybody in this room deserves to be served by Jesus? Serving gives grace. It gives undeserved favor. You know, we're tempted to excuse ourselves from this, think ourselves exceptional. We'll say things like, but they never serve me. I've served them over and over and over. I've served them like eight times. They've never served me back. And I'm saying, you have a scorecard? You're keeping track? I think you're missing the point. You'd say, well, they said something mean about me on Facebook. I'm not going to serve them. They made a face when my children ran screaming through the worship center. Probably, yeah. Probably did. They think they're better than me. They don't deserve to be served by me. And you know what? You're probably right. But you know what? Jesus washed Judas' feet. He did. With intent. And I think that's pretty much the end of the discussion, don't you think? It's almost as though Jesus anticipates all our objections. And in verse 16, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of everything that is, is going to wash these eminently unfaithful disciples' feet. He's going to disrobe and, and put on the garb of a servant and wash their dirty feet. Are there really tasks that we are too good for? That we are too important for? That we are too busy for? Do you think Jesus had anything else on his mind the night before he went to the cross? No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. But Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them, you will be blessed by God. You will live in a place where God delights to bless you. And some of you are in a place right now Where honestly, you do not like your life, you are not happy about it, and this may well be the reason. It's really all about you. 
in your mind, in your actions. And Jesus is inviting you into a life that will be blessed by none other than God himself. If you know these things and you do them. Whether you're tired or not, whether the people you serve are deserving or not. See, when Jesus wanted to show his friends how much he loved them, he chose to humble himself and to serve, to wash the ones he loved dirty feet. And so Jesus would say in Luke 22, this last phrase, he would say, I am among you as the one who serves. May it be said of you as well, I am among you as one who serves. Let's, let's bow in prayer together, please. Father, have mercy on us. We have, um, we have not followed your son's example. We have been in our own minds too important and too busy, too deserving of better things and better positions, and we have, um, we have failed. So have mercy on us, Father. May the, may the teaching of your son today, by the good work of your spirit, break our hearts and make them glad to serve. Just like the one we call Lord, Jesus, our Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen.